Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Here's what we know. Music is powerful. You know, music, it moves us. It motivates us. It mesmerizes us. And in his grand design, God created music as an avenue by which we can learn more about him, an avenue by which we can worship him, and a way that we can enjoy his creation. We love Christmas music. You ready? And here's one of the reasons, because it seems as if Christmas music in particular moves a world that is silent and moves that world to singing. Think about it. In this time of year, the whole world, and they're singing our songs. In this time of year alone, the whole world is singing our songs. Today we begin a series of messages entitled, A Christmas Playlist. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing the very first songs of Christmas found in Scripture. And here's our heartbeat. You ready? To be moved, to be motivated, to be mesmerized by the melodies of those first songs of Christmas in the Bible. And so this morning as we look at Luke chapter 1, I want you to imagine with me that we're at a Jewish wedding. A great celebration, a great feast is to be had. You know the groom, he's in the ministry. He's a temple priest. And the bride, she has a priestly heritage in and of herself, priesting runs in her family. What an incredible couple they are. What a unique couple. In fact, the Bible would say this of that couple in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and all of His decrees blamelessly. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Imagine them dancing at their great marriage celebration, at this great feast. And what we would begin to notice as they were on the dance floor is that many of the wedding attendees would come up to them and as was Jewish tradition, would speak blessing, pronounce blessings over their marriage. They would come up, with them, come up to them and say, man, we pray that God would bless you with many children. And some of them would come up to Zechariah and Elizabeth and share their hopes that maybe, just maybe, it would be Zechariah and Elizabeth who God would use to bring the Messiah into the world. You see, it was every faithful Jewish couple's hope that maybe, just maybe, God would use them to usher in the Messiah the great hope of the Jewish people. You see, as Zechariah and Elizabeth danced on that dance floor that day, here's what we know to be true. That it had been 400 years since the people of God had heard from God through a prophet. 400 years of silence from God. And yet their great hope remained The people of God longed for the Messiah, the Christ to save Israel. And hey, by the way, with with the reputation of Elizabeth and Zechariah, surely God would use a couple like them. 
to give birth to the Messiah. You know, as the years passed in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, they faithfully served the Lord together. But here was what was becoming apparent. That as the years passed, the hopes and dreams of Elizabeth to have a big family, a large family, they were fading with each passing year. In fact, verse number 7 is a pretty difficult verse for Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1 it says this, But they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, the Bible says. Imagine how hard that verse was to hear. Even harder of a verse to live out in her life. Imagine the countless prayers and and tears and the questions of God. You know what it seemed like to Elizabeth? That God was silent in her suffering. That God was silent in her cries. And in her tears. And you you know what I know to be true? Some of you in this room have cried her tears. Some of you have asked her questions. And some of you have hurt like Elizabeth hurts here in the Scripture. But the question is, was God really silent in in Elizabeth and Zechariah's suffering? Is God silent in your suffering? Well, we move on in Luke chapter 1. And as we get towards verse 8, here's what we know of Elizabeth and Zechariah. At this point, they are card-carrying members of the AARP. They're drawing Social Security. They've got the seniors discount at every shop and restaurant in Jerusalem, right? They're, they're getting on up there in years. And what we do is we join in here in verse 8. At one of the biggest days of Zechariah's career, as a temple priest. In fact, this is the biggest moment of his life. Watch this. Once when Zechariah, the Bible says, once his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now, let's just not breeze over this. Now, we find a pretty great honor happening. At that time, there were some 20,000 priests who served the temple. And by the casting of lots, Zechariah gets temple duty. Now, this was a big deal because this didn't happen all the time. And it would be years before a priest could ever serve at the temple. And not only that, Zechariah was chosen to burn incense in the temple Guys, listen, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest. So important was this task that by Jewish tradition, Zechariah would be seen as rich and holy for the rest of his life. Why? Because second only to the high priest, he would get the closest burning that incense to the holiest place in the temple. Rich and holy. The rest of of his life. Talk about a career day for Zechariah. And we find him there burning the incense in the temple when all of a sudden God breaks his silence. For 400 years 
the people of God had yet to hear him. And yet in the temple that day, as Zechariah is burning incense, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And not just any angel, but Gabriel himself. And the silence has been broken. The Bible teaches us that Zechariah, while standing there in the temple, was gripped with fear and he was startled. And that is when Gabriel looked at him in verse number 13 and said this, But an angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. You know what I love about this scene? Church, God is silent no more. It has been 400 years, but God is silent no more. As Gabriel brought God's message to Zechariah, think of it this way, Elizabeth's womb has been closed for decades. And God, who is seemingly silent to her prayers and cries, is silent no more. The silence has been broken. And Zechariah and Elizabeth receive news that she is with child. Now, the child is not the Messiah, but he is the messenger of God. One who would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, the angel would tell them. He would be the one talked about in Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, the one promised in the Old Testament. The one that would prepare the way for the Messiah, who would set the table for Jesus' ministry. Think of this, you ready? Zechariah and Elizabeth were the first to hear of the Messiah's soon arrival. They were the first ones to hear The good news of Christmas that was to come. Hey, God was silent no more. What an incredible message from the angel Gabriel that day, followed by a not-so-incredible moment by Zechariah. Look in your text, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. And my wife is well along in years. That was Zechariah's nice way of saying, she's old. It's dark. This is not going to happen. The angel said to him, and I love Gabriel's response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. I love that statement from Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Yeah, I just love it. Now you will be silent. Think of it, Zechariah, the priest, the prophet, is now silent. In fact, he would spend the remainder of his wife's pregnancy in silence. And some of you ladies out there go, man, that sounds really good. And where was that angel in? And I was pregnant. He would spend the remainder of the pregnancy in silence because of his lack of faith in that moment. You know what this is, church? This is another startling reminder that God punishes those he loves and, do, and will do whatever it takes to shut our mouths in order to open our hearts and our minds to what he's up to. Well, he did that in Zechariah's life. And now we find ourselves in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. And it has come. Elizabeth 
has given birth to a little boy. As was tradition at the time of the giving of birth and then within the next eight days, family and friends and musicians would gather from the community to celebrate this child and the time had come for his name to be given. Now those in the crowd that day thought, as was tradition, that the little boy would be named after his father, Zechariah. And when that conversation came up, Elizabeth quickly said, no, his name is to be John. The crowd was confused. An awkward moment, perhaps, as they looked over at Zechariah to see his thoughts, to see the look on his face. And he had grabbed a tablet that he had written with for those many months of silence. And he began writing on that tablet. And as he turned the tablet around, it simply said this. His name is to be John. Just as the angel commanded him, his name is to be John. And what's amazing in this moment, Zechariah didn't lack faith. All he lacked were vocal cords. And immediately the Bible teaches us, the priest who was silent now is the prophet who is singing. And I love how it is in this Christmas story that God moves Zechariah from silence to singing. From silence to singing. My favorite Christmas movie is probably the most spiritual Christmas movie out there. Elf. And let me tell you one of my favorite parts from the great theologian Buddy the Elf. You ready? You know, he says this, The best way to spread Christmas cheer is for all to hear. And you know what I could imagine? As Zachariah sits there and he holds his boy, for the first time he can speak. For the first time he is not shrouded with silence. As the community gathers, as the musicians play, Zachariah begins to sing this first song of Christmas. Now listen, it wasn't as if he broke out into a Broadway musical. It wasn't as if he had a backpack guitar ready to go. But as he began to prophesy and to speak, he began to sing and to say words that people remembered through song. The song of the good news of, of Christmas. A song that moves Zacharias from silence to sing. And here is his song. Look in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. The Bible says his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit just like his boy. And he prophesied this. Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I love this. You ready? The focus of the first part of this song is not on John, his son, but on Jesus, God's son. Zechariah sings, and here's part of his words, that God has come to his people. Church, be reminded today that the great celebration of Christmas is the very incarnation of God, where God became flesh and made his dwelling among us, as John 1.14 teaches us. And as Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 reminds us that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. In 1881... Mark Twain wrote a pretty incredible story. The story of a prince and a pauper. The story of two young English boys in two very different positions in life. Here's the catch. Both of them looked 
identical to one another. And so as they kind of began their friendship, they decided, hey, you know what we ought to do one day? We ought to switch roles. We ought to switch our clothes. And we ought to see how each other lives out their lives. And the entire story captures what that looks like. Just a great story from Mark Twain. You know, that's a work of fiction. But we know what we find here in Scripture is a literal case of role reversal where Jesus exchanged all the glory and the riches of heaven to take on the role of a lowly babe, of a lowly man, in order to save all men, women, boys, and girls from their sin and to change eternity forever. You know, I got to thinking about this idea of Zechariah's song where God would redeem us through Christ. Now, I love this quote. The Bible's message is worse than we like to think in regard to our sin. But it is much better than we can ever dream in regard to our hope. And Zechariah, in his song, points us to Jesus, the great hope who has come to redeem. Now, in this song, Zechariah introduces us to one of my favorite Christmas names for Jesus. Now, you may like Emmanuel or the Christ child or the babe in the manger. But what we find here in verse 69 is my favorite Christmas name for Jesus. Watch this. You ready? Zechariah sings that God, he has raised up the horn of salvation. Did you catch the Christmas name? The horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 71, the salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hates us. Jesus, the horn of our salvation, that's really hard to make into a Christmas carol. Like That doesn't really roll off your tongue at Christmas time and doesn't give us visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads, right? We, we don't quite really identify with that word and that name around the Christmas season. But hey, let me tell you something. It's not the first time we've heard this name for Jesus in a psalm. Think of the psalmist as he sings in Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Zechariah uses this name for Jesus and reminds us once again that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is God in the flesh. Now let's talk about the horns that are spoken of here in Scripture. The word here refers to the horns of, a, of an animal. Horns that an animal would use for its defense, but also in the Bible, the horns of the animal symbolize strength and power and the glory of God. You know, Zechariah is reminding us about Jesus, that Jesus is the strength and the power and the glory of God in the flesh. And he's the defender of everyone who puts their trust in him. At times, horns were fixed in the Old Testament to the altar. And they had many purposes. But in 1 Kings, we find one such purpose when Joab was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom desired to kill Joab. 
And Joab had no other protection, no other place to go than to run into the tent of the meeting to grab hold of the horns on the altar to find protection there. And here's the deal. As he clung to those horns on the altar, Absalom, his enemy, was unable to touch him. He couldn't touch him. And what we find is those horns were fixed on the altar in the Old Testament. They were a place for anyone to run to, to cling to, and to find protection from their enemies. You know, I got to thinking when we are pursued by the enemy or the enemies of our soul, hey church, we can cling to Jesus, the horn of our salvation. And the sin that so easily entangles cannot destroy us. And there is no enemy who can touch us. I love this Christmas song. I love this name of Jesus. Because here's the truth of my life. Countless times, I find myself clinging to the horn of my salvation. It's Jesus. And never once, never once has he ever let me down. Now, I might be afraid. At times, I might be hurting. But every time I cling to him, Jesus has protected me. He is the horn of my salvation. Then as Zechariah continues to sing, his attention turns from Jesus to his son John and then back to Jesus again. Look at verse 76. He says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. What a beautiful song. Hey, can I tell you something? John did just that for Jesus. And he did so faithfully. But what we find here is that John is merely a prophet of the Most High, whereas Jesus is the power of the Most High, far better than Santa, Zechariah. He reminds us in his song that Jesus is our Savior. And I love how Zechariah references Jesus here. To the rising sun. Hey church, hear me. The greatest light of the Christmas story is not the star that guided the wise men. It's not the light that shone on the shepherd's field. The greatest light is the rising sun, the light of the world, lying in the manger. The message of Christmas is that the rising sun, Jesus, chases away the darkness in each of us, warms us by His grace, and dawns a new day for every believer. You know, not only does this song of Christmas Move Zechariah from silence to singing. It ought to move you and I from silence 
to see as well. Hey, think of it. You ready? At every moment in these texts where God was seemingly silent, He was at work. He was behind the scenes at work orchestrating life and history to His glory and to our good. God was at work behind the scenes setting the stage for something worth singing about. And He was setting His people up for something amazing. Think of it, during the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew, the 400 years where there was no prophet to speak the word of God, God's silence is broken by Gabriel's message to Zechariah. And during such silence, during those 400 years, God was orchestrating history to bring forth His Son to save the world. Hey, church, that's something to sing about. Think of it. During the decades where God seemed silent to the cries and the hurts and the suffering of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he was behind the scenes working to setting them up to being a part of the greatest story ever told. Hey, during the months of Zechariah's silence, God was setting him up to sing one of the very first Christmas songs, to be one of the first to tell others of the coming of Jesus through his song. And you know what? Just as it was in the case of the people of God who hadn't heard from him for 400 years, just as it was in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, believer, if God seems silent, he might very well just be setting the stage to give you something to sing about. On Friday morning, I woke up and I went out to the truck and I noticed my neighbor's house right next door. A lot of cars there early in the morning. They're an elderly couple and they never had really many cars at their home. And it wasn't a holiday and so I called Erin. I said, Erin, I'm worried about our neighbors. She said, why? Well, there's a lot of cars and no reason to be. I said, I'm afraid somebody's died. And just shortly after that, we received a text that my neighbor's wife had passed away in their home earlier that morning. It just kind of hurt your heart for him. I remember Friday night, I was out letting the dogs... Uh, go outside right before we go to bed. It was cold and dark. and I remember Friday night looking over at my neighbor's house. All the cars were gone. There were no lights on. It was just quiet. I remember thinking of my neighbor. My heart just broken for him. This was the first night in decades. He went to sleep without his precious bride. I looked over at his home and I got to thinking, I wonder how quiet it is over there. He took such good care of her. I remember just thinking and being struck by how silent Friday night was at his home in our neighborhood. Listen, I... 
I prayed for him. I hurt for him. I fought the urge to go knock on his door and go crawl into bed right next to him to be there for him. You know, there's a silence that only death can bring sometimes. In fact, it's one of the the greatest of all and the darkest of all silences, isn't it? The silence that only death can bring. I heard it that night from my neighbor. But you know what? Here's the good news. Here's the reason Zechariah sang. And here's the reason why we can sing today. Because the good news of Christmas, the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus delivers us from death. And death's silence gives way to the songs of the redeemed. The very hope and the song of Christmas moves us from silence to singing. Can I ask you something, church? Where's the silence in your life? Do you feel like it's been a long time since you've heard from the Lord? Or maybe since He's heard from you? Maybe you sit here today and you go, I feel as if God is silent in my suffering. Or maybe you're here And you've been the silent one. Because of sin in your heart, your life. Because of a season of of sorrow, maybe you've been the silent one. Can I tell you the great challenge of today's message for us? No matter where your silence lies, no matter the reasoning behind your silence, we can sing the song of Zechariah, the song of Christmas. We have something to sing about. Why? Because this morning, you and I can cling to the horn of our salvation, which is Jesus. Which is Jesus. And you know what's amazing about him? Just like his message moves Zechariah from silence to singing, Today he can move you in your silence and from your silence to sing. Maybe your sin is leaving you silent before God. Hey, let me challenge you. Cling to the horn of salvation and let go of the sin that will do nothing but destroy you. Let him, as Zechariah sang, let him rescue you and let him redeem you from your sin. Or maybe you sit there and you think that God is silent in your suffering. Hear me, believer. He is not silent. He is at work. He is setting the stage to give you something to sing about. Cling to the horn of your salvation, which is Jesus. As we launch this Christmas season, I pray that today, that these songs of Christmas will move your silence wherever it is found, will move you in your silence to sing. Because if for nothing else, 
we all have something to sing about. It's Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, believer, I don't know where your silence lies. I don't, I don't know whether it's sin that's keeping you silent or maybe you feel as if God is silent in your suffering. I don't know the fears and the worries of your life, but, but I know that as Zechariah can sing a song like he did in Luke chapter 1, then God can move you from your silence to singing as well. But here's what you have to do. You ready? Right now in this moment, you have to let go of all the things that are keeping you silent. And you have got to, as Joab did in 1 Kings, you've got to cling to the horn of your salvation, that is Jesus. And know that there He can protect you. There He can rescue you and redeem you. Doesn't mean life won't be full of tragedy. Doesn't mean life won't hurt at times. Doesn't mean you won't hurt but it means that He protects that which lives in us forever, lives forever, and that is our soul. That's our relationship with Him. And so you know what I pray is happening right, right now all across this room? That there's a whole lot of clinging going on. Believer, if you're in sin this morning, man, let go of it. Let go of it. It'll kill your joy. It'll destroy your soul. And it will leave you in a place of absolute silence. Let go of it. Cling to Jesus, the horn of your salvation. Believer, if you're, if you find yourself thinking that maybe God is silent in your suffering, oh, He's not. Just look to His Word. God is not silent. He is at work. And He's given you so much to sing about. And He's setting you up to do something amazing in the suffering that you are now knowing. Let it move you from silence to singing. And as believers all around the room, I want you to pray I want you to maybe let him know why there's silence in your life, where the silence is. And then I want you just to commit to cling to him. The horn of your salvation. Commit to cling to him. And you know what? If for nothing else you have a reason to sing, thank you for your reason. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.